0: Because of this, after i finish reading, I will respond together, thanks be to God. If you don't own a Bible and would like one, there are some on the shelf at the back, so please feel free to take one home with you. Now let's hear the Lord speak to us this morning from 2 Corinthians 8, 1-9. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia, for in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favour of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love is genuine, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for the sake, for your sake, he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thanks so much. Morning, everybody. Good to see you this morning. I buzzing a wee bit. Um, If you don't know me, my name is Alan. I'm one of the elders in the church here at Village. I'm usually over in East though. Um, I only kind of come to South here on those rare occasions whenever your pastor has broken his ankle and there's a a kind of a need then for someone to come over and preach. Um, But it's really good to always get uh, an opportunity to come over here and preach. I do really enjoy it. Uh, It's good to see familiar faces, but I have to say it's It's good as well to look out and see some new faces too, Uh, lots of people that I don't recognize and that just, uh, it's a great sign, um, seeing the way the Lord is um, building his church over here in South um, and East, um, we're praying for you guys often here, so uh, it's always nice to be able to come and and see with your own eyes what the Lord is doing. Um, We're in this sermon series for six weeks, uh, which is called Family Traits. It's something, a series that we kind of do every year around this uh, this time of the year, September, October time, um, because uh, it's important for us to kind of go back to our roots uh, and really go back to what we're all about as a church. Um, in this uh, family uh, trait series, we look at what makes village church, village church, and we look at those three spheres, gospel, community, and mission, kind of the three pillars which are right at the foundation of who we are as a church and which really impact and drive everything that we then do. And John was here for the last couple of weeks uh, looking at that sphere of gospel and what it looks like for us to be rooted and grounded in the gospel of Jesus Christ, our identity being in him and how uh, whenever we are abiding in him uh, then that is how we find life uh, and that's how we then produce fruit in the Christian life. It's the only way for us to live, and it's the only way for us to actually be able to, to produce any good fruit in the Christian life, it is to, uh, to be joined to Jesus Christ. Uh, He is the vine, we are the branches. Uh, And so we looked at at how we then grow as a church family in our abiding in Jesus, learning to practice his presence. And that's what John was looking at these last couple of weeks. And that's what we're gonna do in that uh, abiding kind of training, that Zoom that we're gonna have in in a couple of weeks time. So it'd be good for, if you're interested to think a little bit more about the practicalities of that and how that kind of flows then into life um, to come along to that on that Wednesday evening. But for these Two weeks, we're going to look at the sphere of community, digging into what kind of a community, a group of people we want to be, and what it really means for us to be a gospel shaped community. There are lots of communities that you might be part of in life, lots of communities that there are across our city of Belfast, but what makes Village Church here unique? What does it mean for us to be a gospel shaped community? Well, our values as a church, they they tell us what kind of community we want to be and what it looks like to be a gospel-shaped community. We've got 10 values as a church. You can find them on our website, and they're based in the Bible, and they see the kind of things that we want to live out as a church and what we want people to experience here being part of our church family at Village. They're values that are really important to us. They're not just kind of like nice catchphrases um, that we, we have, which, you know, buzzwords that we might have. They're actually things that we want to, to nurture and grow in, that we want to experience and see lived out. Um, things like church as family. That's an experience that we want people to have, being brothers and sisters uh, together in Christ. We want to, to be a church family that's able to be spiritually honest and authentic with each other, We want to be a church family that uh, do everything with gospel intentionality. Those are important things to us, things we want to practice, things we want to grow in, things we want to experience uh, if you're part of our community, but also things we want others who come in to experience as they look into this community uh, and they live alongside us. And so we're serious about cultivating them and seeing them grow. And and one that we're going to think about um, over these next two weeks is that value of sacrificial living and generosity. Nathan mentioned it already when he was talking about giving um, there at the start of our service. Um, Sacrificial living and generosity. Here's what, what the value says. In understanding the abundant sacrificial generosity of God, We want to be a community who are generous with our whole lives. This includes time, resources, talents, abilities, money, and more. Jesus calls us to live a life of radical difference. In a world marked by consumption, we are seeking to build a community of counter-cultural generosity. Think of that last line for a moment. In a world marked by consumption, we are seeking to build a community of counter-cultural generosity. You see, we live in a world that admires generosity, a world which applauds generous living. We've seen so much of that in this last year and a half during the pandemic, clapping for our carers, those who have been so generous and sacrificial with their lives, serving on the front line, We've heard tales maybe of people being generous with their money, uh, giving to charity, or, or being at the front, uh, front of the line in, uh, in Tesco's and buying someone who's got an NHS pass on, buying their shopping for them. Generosity um, that people are displaying. That I think when we see those kind of um, acts of generosity, why we make so much of them, why we applaud things like that is because they go against the grain in society. And they go against the grain really in our hearts as well because we don't naturally want to be generous people. It's just not the norm in our wealthy Western culture. We're immersed in a context where self is king or queen. We're told to chase our dreams and to not let anyone get in the way of that. We're encouraged to carve out time for ourselves before giving our time or energy to anyone else. We're conditioned to save and to spend our hard earned money in the way that we want and in a way that benefits us or our family first. Marketing and media is so geared around making much of me that very often our instincts to look out for others or to be generous are dulled or even killed off altogether. This is the water we swim in in our culture. And sadly, it can be the water that we swim in as a church as well. I read about a well-known social science experiment in the 1970s, which illustrated this point. Some theological college students, they were asked to prepare a short talk on the parable of the Good Samaritan. If you've been around church or if you've read the Bible, you've probably heard that story before. And when they arrived at class they were told that they needed to go to another building on this campus to deliver those talks. Some were told that there was already an audience there waiting for them, ready to hear their talk on the Good Samaritan, and, and so they had no time to lose in getting over. On their way to deliver the talks, the students came upon an actor who was slumped on the footpath, moaning and pretending to be in distress. And you can guess what happened next. Only 53% of those students hurrying to give those talks in that famous parable about generosity, they stopped to help that man who was in need. And the variable that had most effect on whether they stopped or not was how much time pressure they thought they were under in getting to that building to deliver that talk. Now, we, we can look at, at that story or hear that story and think, you know, that would never be me. That's just, I'd be one of those people that would stop, one of those 47%. But So often, to our shame, we can talk about generosity. We can aspire to be sacrificially generous people, but never actually practice that generosity in our lives. I know that's true of me. And that's not the way we want things to be in our church family here at Village. We want to practice what we preach. We want to be doers of the word, not just hearers of the word, as we thought about in the book of James over this last few months. And one of the marks of a gospel-shaped community is sacrificial generosity, which is why, as part of our three-year vision as a church, um, our goal as a community is one of growing in our generosity. We have have kind of focused in on, on three things that we're looking at in gospel community mission, and that community one was around our financial giving. We want to here in South, we want to grow in our financial giving. We want to become more financially independent. We're a church plant here of about three or four years. Uh, and so uh, growing in that uh, is important to us because in time, we would love to be a church that's um, sufficient in that way to be able to, um, to look after ourselves here, but also to look outwards to other church, churches, to be able to, to bless other ministries, to be able to help other church plants as we have been helped here in South. And we focused on that financial kind of goal, but whenever we think about sacrificial living, it encompasses so much more than that. You heard it as I read out our vision statement, our value statement there, uh, about sacrificial living and generosity. We want to be a community who are joyfully generous with our whole lives. Sacrificially generous with our time, our homes, our resources, our talents, our money, Our food, even. We want to be generous in every way possible. That's the kind of culture we want to cultivate and nurture here. And I'm very thankful that that is, in many ways, the culture that we see in our church family. People who are sacrificially generous in those ways. But we want to keep growing and maturing in this stuff. And so how do we do it? How do we do that individually individually? but also corporately, together as a family. Well, underpinning this kind of generous living, that first line that we have in our our value statement is, is crucial. It underpins it all. Underpinning this is understanding the abundant sacrificial generosity of our God. That is the only starting place. As we think about growing in our generosity, we can only be the abundantly generous the lavishly generous, the sacrificially generous people that God calls us to be when we understand just how generous God has been towards us. That's it. If ever there was a silver bullet when it comes to growing in our generosity, this is it. And where do we see the abundant sacrificial generosity of God? Well, in the most ultimate sense. We see it in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. The one who Paul says in our reading there in 2 Corinthians 8, though he was rich, yet for our sake Jesus Christ became poor so that we by his poverty might become rich. That's it and that is going to be our focus this morning really. Next week we're going to think about the practicalities of this a little bit more. John's going to come and he's going to hone in on what our generous living as a church might look like, especially when it comes to our finances, because that's our, our goal, really, and what we've set as a church in these next three years. But, but this week, we're just going to consider the why. Why the call to be sacrificially generous people? And the answer is because of the sacrificial generosity of our God. The Bible says the truth is that everything we have, everything we possess, it all comes from God. He's the generous giver of life to all things. Our liturgy in Psalm 100, it told us that. We depend on God for all that we have. He's the one who generously provides us with everything in life to enjoy. Right back to the beginning of the Bible, in Genesis chapter 1, It tells of a God who spoke the world into creation. Who didn't just make a functional world, a world that had enough, but a world that was abundant. A world that had so much for us to enjoy. Psalm 139, it says that it's God who formed each one of us in this room. It's God who created each one of us, knit us together in our mother's womb. Psalm 104, it tells us that it's God who right now sustains his creation. He keeps all things in life going. Paul, in Acts 17, he says to the Athenian philosophers, as he stands in the Areopagus, there is a God who made the world and everything in it. He's the Lord of heaven and earth. He's not served by human hands as if he needed anything from us. Because he's the one, he's the one himself who gives life to all mankind, life and breath and everything. It's God who gives you the breath in your lungs this morning. It's God who keeps your heart beating in your chest right now. Every material possession that you have, every piece of food that you put on the table, every pound in your bank account, All of it is a generous gift from our loving creator God. And if you're someone who's a a believer this morning, well, that's not news to you. You know this. We all know this. But do we stop often enough to acknowledge this? To say thank you to God for this, for all that we have. To praise him and to worship him for all that he has lavishly blessed us with in life. God's abundant generosity towards each one of us is plain for us to see in creation. But God's abundant sacrificial generosity is most seen in the incarnation of Jesus Christ, in him coming to this world and in salvation. And in Jesus Christ giving his life, in exchange for ours. And that's going to be what we're going to focus on this morning. That's what Paul is saying to these believers in Corinth. He's encouraging this church to to live generous lives. And the way he appeals to them is to give them the gospel. To explain to them just how generous God has been to them in Jesus Christ. He's speaking to this church who have pledged to dominate money to another church in Jerusalem who's going through a time of hardship, a time of uh, severe famine. And Paul says to them, I want you to come good on the pledge that you've made. I want you to, uh, not just to be empty words, but I want you to to come through on that money that you promised to give. And at the start, he, he actually appeals to them by saying, there's another church, a church in Macedonia, who have given towards this church in Jerusalem, who are in desperate need. And do you know the interesting thing about them, church in Corinth? They're a church who have given out of their extreme poverty. They're a church that don't have any money, but yet they have been generous with what they have. Joyfully generous, actually, because if you go back and you look at some of the language that he uses, he says at one point that they actually have begged Paul, almost, for the opportunity to give more, to support this fund. And Paul appeals to this church in Corinth He says, will you do the same? Will you give joyfully, generously to this church that's in need? He says, remember why, why I'm calling you to do this. It's not because I want you to compare yourselves to another church, but it's because this is the way Christians should be, followers of Jesus Christ. They should be joyfully generous with their whole lives, with everything they have. Because that's what God has been towards us. So willingly, joyfully generous in giving us life, but in giving us new life in and through his son Jesus Christ. Look what he says in verse 9, the key verse. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Paul says, remember how generous God has been to you. Remember how poor you were before you received the grace of God in Jesus Christ. Remember how much Christ was willing to give up for you, to save you. And in these verses, here's what we see. Our poverty and his riches our poverty and his riches. He's reminding this church of their spiritual poverty, of their state without Jesus Christ. He says, this is how poor you were spiritually, how impoverished you were spiritually before you received the grace of God and Jesus. And the reality for them is the same reality for all of us, that without his grace, we are spiritually poor. In fact, the depths of our our spiritual poverty are so deep. The Bible says that we are dead, spiritually dead. Ephesians 2, it says we're dead in our trespasses and sins. And the Bible says the reason for that is because we have all failed to acknowledge God as our loving creator in life. We were created to enjoy the good gifts that God has given to us in life with him. Not without him. But what we've all done, me included, is we have turned away from him in our hearts. We've accepted the good gifts that he has generously given to us in life, but rejected him as the good giver of those gifts. All of us have done this, turned away from him, and made other things in life the object of our love and of our worship made other things, idols, whether that be money or possessions or talents, they become what we treasure most in life. They become the focus of our worship, not God. The Bible calls this sin. This is the essence of sin, worshiping the gifts rather than worshiping God as the giver of those gifts. And according to the Bible, the sin makes us dead. Because our sin means that we are cut off from God as the giver of life. You might say, well, to look at us this morning, we don't look dead. We look very much alive in this room. But even this, even our presence here this morning is a reminder of God's generosity towards each one of us. How kind and how patient he is to us. Because what we deserve for our sin is for God to turn away from us. To take away all of his good things, his goodness. To take away our life. But God is so patient and he's so kind to us. In Romans chapter 2, Paul says that we need to realize that God's kindness and patience is, is actually meant to lead us back to him. It's actually meant to lead us to repent, to turn away from our own ways and to turn back to him again, to recognize and acknowledge him as the giver of all things in life. And we need to realize that God's patience and kindness towards each one of us, it doesn't last forever. In the same way that a plant eventually withers and dies, if it's cut off from its roots, from its life source, we too, eventually die if we are cut off from our life source, God. Physical death comes to each one of us. But even worse than that, spiritual death comes where we are separated from God forever. Eternally separated from him in a place where there are no good things to enjoy. This is our spiritual poverty. And it's a bleak picture and one that Paul wants to remind this church of in Corinth is it's a situation that we cannot change on our own. No amount of giving on our part will ever change our acceptance with God. But God is generous and God intervenes for us. He provides for us in our need. He provides the way for us to be reconnected to the life source Again. And he does it through generously giving us his son, Jesus Christ. Look again at what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 8 9. Because on one side we have our poverty, but on the other side we have Christ's riches. And how rich was Jesus Christ? I wonder if you've ever thought about that before. I looked up this week some of the richest people in the world to find out their net worth. And it's mind-blowing how much money some people have. Jeff Bezos Bezos, I don't know the way you say it, but he's the founder of Amazon anyway, and he's the world's richest person with a wealth of 145 billion pounds, followed by other billionaires like Elon Musk and Mark Zuckerberg. But Paul says the wealth and power and possessions of Jesus Christ surpass them all. We be gasp when we hear 145 billion pounds, but will we gasp when we hear this? Listen to what Paul says in Colossians 1 about the glory and the riches of Jesus Christ, about what belongs to him, about what he possesses. Listen to this, verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created. In everything, he might be preeminent, supreme. No one possesses more than Jesus Christ. No one has more power and authority than Jesus Christ. You see what Paul is saying about the riches and the glory of Jesus? It's mind-blowing. He's the creator of all things. He was there in the beginning with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit, experiencing perfect Trinitarian love, perfect Trinitarian unity forever. He didn't lack a single thing. He didn't need a single thing. He was the one who created all things in heaven and on earth. And he's the reason for all things. Look at verse 16. All things were created through him and for him, all for his glory, for himself. And he's the sustainer of all things. Right now, Jesus Christ is the glue that holds the whole universe together. He is the Lord of everything. Everything belongs to Him. Before His incarnation, before Jesus Christ left the glories of heaven and came to this earth, He had it all. He was experiencing glory and perfection for all eternity. He had legions upon legions of angels worshiping him and serving him and glorifying him forever. This is the picture we have of the riches of Jesus Christ. But Paul says this is what Jesus Christ was willing to give up, to relinquish, to let go of. Why? For you and for me. Incredible. Paul says in, in Philippians 2 verse 6 that this Jesus Christ, the same Jesus Christ of Colossians 1, though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He didn't hold on to it. His divine rights, his riches for all eternity, but verse 7, he emptied himself. He let go of it all. By taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Why did he do it? He did it for you, he did it for me. He gave up his eternal riches for us so that we, by his poverty, might become rich forever. This is where we see, secondly, his poverty, our riches. His poverty, our riches. I wonder if anyone's seen the TV show *The Secret Millionaire*. Anybody seen it? Channel Four. Um, Well, it's a show where a millionaire leaves the comfort and the wealth of their millionaire lifestyle for just a very short period of time, just a week, and they disguise themselves as as a poor person. They enter into the poverty of someone else, without that person knowing who they are, that they are a millionaire. The person doesn't recognize the riches that they have. And the millionaire, the secret millionaire, lives alongside this person. They get an insight into the poor person's life. They see how they live. They see uh, what things they're interested in, what makes them tick. And at the end of the week, the secret millionaire, they reveal who they really are. They reveal the riches they possess. And the show ends with that millionaire giving the poor person a a life-transforming sum of money to lift them out of their poverty and to give them a new life. Imagine, it's like Jeff Bezos coming and living beside me for a week uh, and me not knowing who he is. I probably, to be fair, probably wouldn't know who he is. And then at the end of the week, him giving me just even a fraction of his wealth, even, even just a million of that $145 billion. Imagine how that would change my life. But even that... Even that is nothing compared to what Jesus Christ has done for us. The secret millionaire is the palest of pictures of what Jesus Christ did in giving up his divine eternal riches to enter into our poverty here on earth. Jesus became poor so that by his life, we might become rich forever. He left his eternal throne in heaven to enter into the brokenness of our world. He was born as a baby. A baby, the eternal king of glory, born in a filthy stable amongst animals. He left the eternal praise and worship of legions of angels in heaven to come to this earth to live a life in relative obscurity for most of his life. He experienced betrayal from the people that were closest to him, humiliation from the very people he came to save, scorn and shame. He was a king who didn't grow up in a palace, but in a poor carpenter's home in a backwater town of Nazareth. He became a man. Took on every ounce of our humanity, experienced all the frailty and weakness of our human body. And during his time here on earth, we see that one of the values of the kingdom of God that he brought to earth is abundant sacrificial generosity and love. See, Jesus didn't come in disguise like the secret millionaire. He came proclaiming that he had brought the kingdom of God to earth. He came showing what the kingdom of God looked like, that it was one of self-sacrificial service of others. He showed compassion to the poor and the needy. He healed countless numbers of sick people. He spent so much of his time around the dinner table of the outcast, the marginalized in society, Because Jesus Christ came to this earth not to be served, but to serve others. To give his life as a ransom for many. He came to this earth to become poor so that in him we might become rich. He came to this earth to die so that in him we might have life. And it's at the cross where we see the very pinnacle of God's sacrificial generosity towards us. Paul finishes those verses in Philippians 2 and verse 8 by saying this, and Jesus, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death, on a cross. At the cross, Jesus entered into the very depths of our spiritual poverty. He took the filthy rags of our sin on himself, And he paid our debt in full before God. He wiped our slate clean by shedding his blood for us and making the way for us to be brought back into relationship with God again, reconnected to our life source. But even more than that, he deposited his infinite wealth, his eternal riches into our he clothed us in his royal robes of righteousness. and He made us spiritually, spiritually alive with him forever. How rich have we now become in Jesus Christ? How rich have we become? I want you to go away this week and I'm going to give you a bit of homework here. I'm not going to be back next week to check if you've done it, so don't worry. But You a bit of homework. John did this uh, uh, whenever he I don't know if he did this here in in South, but he did this in east, certainly, when he was doing his abiding in Jesus stuff. And and I want you to go away this week and read Ephesians one, one to fourteen. I want you to read it every day this week and reflect on that passage. It's an incredible passage which the Apostle Paul he praises God in this one long, breathless sentence, outlining all that we have now received through Jesus Christ, through being united to him. Paul says, if you're united to Jesus, if you've trusted in him this morning, then you are rich beyond your wildest dreams. Because God has generously packaged every spiritual blessing, put it all in Jesus Christ, and written your name on the gift tag. That's what Paul says in verse 3. Listen to this, Ephesians 1 verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places praise God Paul says praise God there's nothing else you can do whenever you realize that we have everything we could ever need or wish for in Jesus every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places the blessings of being united to Jesus are innumerable We've been raised to new life in Jesus. And here's just a snapshot of what Paul says. And you'll read this if if you go and read Ephesians 1 this week. He says this in verse 5. We've been adopted into God's family. We've been given a new identity as one of his children. Praise God. Verse 11. He's given us an eternal inheritance. The promise of a heavenly home where we will experience God's presence and his glory and the riches of of his grace forever, for all eternity. Praise God. And verse 13, he's given us his own spirit to live in us now as the seal and the guarantee of this eternal inheritance. The Holy Spirit, our helper, our advocate, leading us, encouraging us, empowering us every day until that day when we will go to be with him and we will take hold of that which is ours in Jesus. Praise God. This is only a snapshot. Brother or sister, if you are a Christian this morning, if you are in Jesus Christ, you have everything. You are rich beyond belief. This is how incredibly generous God has been towards each one of us. And this is why it's so crucial. As we begin to think about our generosity as a church so crucial why this is our starting place. Because if this is how generous God has been towards us, then how could we be anything else than generous towards others? We're going to think more about the practicalities of our generous giving, our generous living with our finances, our time, our gifts, maybe that we've been given by God to serve the church, to serve others. We're going to think about being generous with our homes and our food and our possessions. Generous in doing and being a blessing for, to, to others and those in need. But we won't become the generous people that God calls us to be or the, the generous people I'm guessing that we maybe want to be by trying to change our behavior or by being guilted into or by pulling ourselves up by the bootstraps and trying harder. The gospel isn't about behavior modification. The gospel is about heart transformation. That's what God really wants. He's after our hearts. Paul will go on to say in 2 Corinthians 9, which John's going to preach on next week, that what God really loves, what he really delights in, is a cheerful giver, a joyful giver. A person who will gladly, willingly sacrifice themselves, their money, their time for the sake of others, even if it's costly to them. Look back with me at the start of of 2 Corinthians 8. I want you to look at this example of the church in Macedonia one more time here. Look at their joyful generosity. Literally begging Paul to be able to give more to this relief fund for the church in Jerusalem, even at great expense to themselves. They are in extreme poverty. And why are they like this? Well, look at verse 5. They gave themselves first of all to God and then to us. So easy to gloss over that. They gave themselves first of all to God. And here's the key to growing in our generosity as a church. The only way for us to live joyfully generous lives is if we give ourselves first to God. We devote ourselves to Him We ask him to change our hearts by the knowledge of his grace to transform us to be more generous people just like his son Jesus reflecting his generosity to others. We come to our gracious loving father marveling at his generosity towards us praising him worshiping him delighting in him for the innumerable blessings that he has showered upon us in Jesus. And in doing that, he changes us. He changes our hearts. That's how our generosity grows. That's how our generosity becomes a joy. Imagine what it would look like for us as a church if our hearts were so captured by the generosity of God that we couldn't help being generous towards others. Just like this church in Macedonia. It was a joy to sacrifice ourselves. Imagine how powerful a witness that would be in this world. To other churches. To those who don't yet know Jesus Christ. You would have people asking, why do you do that with your time? Why do you invest your money in those things? What return do you get for that? It makes no sense to people other than we have been transformed by the gospel of grace. That we are a people who understand something of the radical, the abundant, sacrificial generosity of our God. That's how we will grow in our generosity. We give ourselves first to God, and then we will give ourselves to others. And as we finish, if you're not someone who would call themselves a Christian this morning, and you're listening in, I want to be really clear with you this morning. God is not asking you to become a more generous person. He's not asking you this morning to to think about your giving. That's not his request. That's not what he wants for you today. What he wants for you today, first and foremost, is for you to accept his generous gift to you. For you to receive his generosity Joyfully accepting Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. That's what he wants. Just like he calls uh, these Christians to, to give themselves first to God, he asks you to give yourself to him today. There's nothing we can do to ever make ourselves right with God. No amount of giving of our time to others, our money even, no amount of good works will ever make us acceptable in his sight. But Paul says in Romans 2 that God's generosity and kindness towards us and giving us all things is meant to lead us back to Him, to trust in Him. So maybe for the first time in your life, you've realized this morning just how poor and how needy you are before God. God generously offers new life to you today in and through His Son Jesus Christ. You can have the life that you're looking for, that you long for. You can be today eternally rich forever before God. And all God asks you to do is to trust in Jesus, accept his gift of salvation in him, knowing that through Jesus' death on the cross, you can be forgiven for rejecting him and turning away. Through Jesus' resurrection to life, you can be raised to new life today. Jesus exchanged his riches for our poverty so that we, by his poverty, might become rich forever. Praise God for the gospel and the grace of Jesus Christ. Will you today, will you accept God's generous offer? And will you trust in Jesus? Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you that In your word, we can see just how good and how kind you are, Lord. Lord, you have given us all things, life and breath. You've given us every good thing that we enjoy in this world. Lord, we are so sorry that we have taken that for granted. We have turned away from you and not acknowledged you as the giver of all things. Lord, We recognize that we've done that in so many ways in life. Made the things that you've given us the object of our worship and of our our love. We've treasured them above treasuring you. And Lord, we are sorry for that. We ask for you to forgive us for that. Lord, we know that you're a merciful God. You're patient and you're kind. And Lord, you've made the way through your son Jesus Christ, through the generous gift of giving him to us that we can be brought back into a relationship with you again. Lord, I pray that our response to that would be to praise you and thank you. Lord, that as we think about growing in our generosity as a church, that the main thing that we would think about, that the very starting place in that would be to reflect on your sacrificial generosity towards us. Lord, that everything would flow from that in our lives. Lord, thank you that today, um, even today, Lord, you still offer the way for people to be brought back into relationship with you. Even though there might be people in this room who have walked away from you and have done that for many years in their life, Lord, today you offer them new life in Jesus. That generous offer is extended to them. You're gracious, Lord. So I pray, Lord, that if there, is, if there is anyone who has not yet put their trust in Jesus, today, Lord, I pray would be the day that they do that. That they receive that gift. That they're born to new life and they enjoy the innumerable blessings that there are of being united to Jesus. Lord, we thank you that. You have been so generous to us and we pray, Lord, that we would reflect that generosity to this world. And we pray these things in your son, Jesus.